0: Hi, it's me, Corinne Malcolm, interrupting this trail society with some breaking news, some fun things going on over at freetrail.com that we forgot to mention during this episode when Hillary and I recorded last week. And that is we are bringing you your own opportunity to weigh in on trail runner of the year. You, Roy, has traditionally been very North American focused, um, very... Um, long, long distance focused. And so we have come up with a distance agnostic, international, the people get to choose trail runner of the year or Troy. Travis Longcar over at Fantasy Free Trail, the Free Trail Fantasy Guru, set this whole thing up for us because he is brilliant and you now can go vote as of December 6th when you are hearing this in your ears you can go over to fantasy.freetrail.com to cast your ballots again that's fantasy.freetrail.com you can also get to it by going to the freetrail.com website you're going to get to pick your top 10 men and top 10 women the people who performed at all distances, VKs, to the 200 mile races over the past year, go and cast your ballot. You have until December 20th to get those ballots in. And again, that's December 20th at noon Pacific time, okay? So again, top 10 men, top 10 women, your voice matters. So please go cast your ballot at fantasy.freetrail.com. This is the first ever edition of Troy and we are so, so excited to get to bring it to you this year. It's going to get bigger and better every year from here on out but be part of the inaugural go of it go cast your ballot international field vks the 200 mile races everything in between trail runner of the year again go over to fantasy.freetrail.com from now until december 20th to cast your ballots hey hi hello welcome to episode 36 of trail society brought to you by our friends over at free trail i'm corinne malcolm I'm Hillary Allen and we're missing Keely Henninger today because she is off at the running event in Austin having a grand old time we're gonna try not to mess this up royally while she's away she's our kind of our tech our tech guru (laughs) our tech goddess and um yeah we uh we'll see if we can make this thing happen um before we dive into stuff real quick at the you know some some housekeeping. I need to give shout outs to two the sponsors making this happen for us. And that is athletic greens and the feed. If you would like to try athletic greens, you can get a one year free supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash trail society. Again, that's over at athleticgreens.com slash trail society to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I had my travel packs with me in um, South Africa, which we'll talk about more in a little bit, but uh, Mm -hmm. we're excited. they were renewing with them and they'll be joining us into 2023 as well. So very, very excited about that. And the other humongous shout out we have to give is to the feed. I think the feed is taking the trail and ultra running world by storm. More and more stuff pops up about it in my feed every day. Maybe that's targeted advertising. I don't know. Maybe we're targeted advertising now in your ears. Who's to say, but if you would like to get over to the feed, remember that's, that's your one-stop shop for all your sports nutrition needs, recovery tool needs, whatever it might be. Um, I just submitted my next order and I'm really, really excited about it. But if you too mm. would love some more snacks in your life, some coffee, some breakfast stuff, all combined, maybe you also need to order some gels with it. You know, it's kind of a weird mm. box, but you can have it all in one place. And that's going to be over at thefeedcom trail society where you can claim a $15 store credit. That's right, a free $15 to spend on whatever you would like. And we're going to tie that all into nutrition here in a second because. <laughs> Our own Hillary Allen ran for a very, very long time in the southern hemisphere and had to eat yeah. a lot of snacks. Um, so, while we miss Keely this week, what we're gonna do is that we're uh, we're gonna debrief Ultra Trail Cape Town and Hillary's experience slash win um, over there in South Africa. It's now just a couple days post race. I literally just flew home <laughs> yesterday. I'm not jet lagged at all. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: yeah, shout out to Corinne for, uh, for you know, waking up at seven a.m. her time to talk with me at five p.m. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, my body has no idea what time zone it is. I get like lightheaded every time I eat because my body's like, are we doing meals now? Is this a thing? <laughs> um, but I made it. I showered. It's now cold and snowy in Seattle, which is bonkers. Oh, boy big big like i was sunburnt last week in south africa and now i'm, I'm sunburned like now <laughs> all of my clothing um oh. okay hilly how are you feeling post race just a couple days removed
1: yeah you know it's kind of crazy i think running i was running for such a long time but i was so focused during those you know nearly 25 hours that it went by so fast but then like as soon as you're done you realize how much effort that took both physically and mentally. And so I would describe the last couple of days of just like devoted to eating and sleeping and repeating. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that's basically what I've been doing. Um, and thankfully Max, my crew chief, he, uh, he was, you know, totally zonked too, because he stayed up all night. So, um, He's also been doing the the napping and the sleeping and the eating, so um but you know, yeah, I mean, there's so much I I went into this race like um feeling super strong like physically um I had like a little bit of a Achilles niggle that actually, you know, it, it sorted itself out before the race, just because I ended up like tapering a bit earlier, which is always, uncomfortable um, for me, but <laughs> I did it. <laughs> and, um, and I'm sure Adam was like, Hillary, stop texting me all the time. But, um, uh, yeah, it kind of, it worked itself out. So I knew that after the race, like I knew it's like a little bit of tendonitis, it's like kind of low risk. Like, um, it actually didn't bother me in the race until the very end, but I knew that was going to be pretty pissed off when I got up on Sunday morning, which it was. But other than that, honestly, Corinne, my body feels really great. Just also really tired. And I'm so happy to just like rest. Like uh, I don't have anything planned for the rest of the year. And I'm just like, I'm really content to just like, it's finally off season. We talk about this so much and I'm so excited. Mine's here.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, you had a super fly outfit at the awards ceremony. (laughs) on sunday you were looking good during the march of the zombies up on stage
1: yeah corinne knows this this is a little bit backstory i have to say this the first time and honestly it was also so good to be reunited with you even though i see you all the time it was great to finally get a hug um but corinne the first time that we met i had this like floral jacket and Mm -hmm. it's like
0: 20 2017 no 2016 fall of 2016
1: yes and so okay. we went up to like the pilar aid station of course we're like oh yeah oh, it's spring, tropical spring island. Of
0: 2016
1: yeah spring it's in may yep you're right yeah. and so we um we went up to the pilar aid station and it's like a tropical island we're like oh yeah it's gonna be totally hot and have, like a tank top and all i have is like from the airport this freaking this jacket this flower jacket i don't even have my running jacket and it's just windy and rainy and so cold. And so I actually ran with Corinne and the Solomon team when she was running on the Solomon team with this floral jacket. And I think there's some like really funny pictures. There's
0: (laughs) There's some amazing photos. One of my like favorite photos that Martina ever took of me was and she was always like Corinne, we need someone like you on the team you're like you you make funny faces and i was like i don't know that's a compliment martina i remember this card. but it's it's like shot over your shoulder and it's my face and i'm like explaining something about the course yeah. and i'm just like so animated i look i look a little insane a little unhinged but yeah it's that so floral funny. jacket when i saw you at the hotel in the floral jacket i was like yes there we go there we go it's been we're a back long time No time, no time has passed. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, why people are going to wonder why you just did UTMB in August, right? You know, Mm -hmm. second hundred miler at the end of the year, um, an extension of your season in a way, right? Like you were maybe going to race again this fall. No one ever knows after a hundred when they're going to race again, just because you've got to really listen to your body. It's Mm -hmm. hard to plan. Like I'm going to do that's what the slam or something like that is so hard. People who can do 300s a year.
1: 400 a year because
0: you just never know how you're going to recover so set like set it up for us you finish utmb in august the day goes how the day goes you're making a season to race again like what was that process like what made that decision for you you know what kind of what was the mindset going into adding another 100 mile before the end of the year
1: yeah and i can't honestly um Emphasize the importance of like a coach enough in these these moments because I think it can be hard when you have a really tough race like I did at UTMB um, to feel satisfied, right? And of course, I knew like I hadn't had my season planned out; I had some ideas, but I wanted to make a to make a game time decision afterwards because I didn't know with UTMB being my first hundred mile, or I didn't know if it was gonna how my body was gonna react, right? And so my coach guided me a lot. <laughs> in fact. Um, UTMB was so difficult that although my body recovered really well physically um, because I really wasn't able to push as hard as I wanted uh, mentally I was in a I was still in such a funk after that race and I needed a lot more time to even contemplate suffering again.
0: Um, Right because you went to the well like that's the big thing right when you go to the well that takes it's like that's different than physically going to the well.
1: Yeah and mentally I was in the well for like like, you know, romping around down there for a really long time. And, um, I came out, I was so glad about that, but, um, thought I was going to get lost down there. But, uh, like, so actually I think like maybe two and a half weeks, um, after UTMB, cause so I was like running again. And, um, Adam was like, Hey, so he'll like, we should talk about, um, you know, some more another race this season and what that looks like. He's And he said to me, he's like, I think that we need to practice the hundred mile distance
0: and I use, I use this Which wording, sounds like, crazy. Totally. Who practicing? practices the 100-mile distance?
1: But he's right. You know, like, there's... Very few situations where you're there's there's no situations aside from a race where you can practice being at mile 80, right? Like I was there at TDS, but still the race is over in like 15 miles. For instance, in this or you know, 14 miles, 13 miles, and um in this race at UTCT, uh being at mile 80, I still had 25 more miles to go. Like that's almost a marathon. Like that's a it's a lot to 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 wrap your mind around. And so this idea of practicing it. Um, yeah, I mean, this is kind of what he brought up, but I had to say to Adam, I was like, okay, I hear you. And I know you're like having your coaching hat on right now, but I need a minute because at this moment, I don't know. Like, I know there's a chance that every hundred mile race you enter every race you enter, there's going to be a pretty high percentage chance that you're going to suffer. And I wasn't even ready to contemplate that yet. And, you know, even if there's a small chance there's going to be a race like UTMB, like I didn't want to put myself through that again. And so um, I actually needed a couple more weeks to even like contemplate that, like take it on my runs with me, see how I felt about it before I was able to actually commit that I wanted to race. And then from there, it was choosing to race, uh, which won. Um, Corinne, you and Keely were there to help me to kind of figure out which race I wanted to do, it was kind of originally, there's not that many, um, you know, higher profile or competitive races like later in the season. So I was kind of contemplating between UTMB Mexico and UTCT. And, um, I think that the, being an extra month later, even though UTCT extended my season, that felt a little bit more comfortable for me to be able to prepare. And then also, um, even though both UTCT and UTMB Puerto Verde were first year races, um, to be honest, I think I dodged a little bit of a bullet at the, <laughs> I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say it. I know that's fine. My, that's fair. my friend Anthony, he ran it and it was just like, oh man, it was a full on adventure.
0: Um, Which some people so far... love, but I think a lot of right. people were surprised by it and being surprised, right. like inaugural events can have that where it's like, you don't know what you're getting into a little bit and that can totally. be scary and, 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 or dangerous at times. And so, yeah. Right. Dodged there,
1: <laughs> and so then I mean I know UTCT what the hundred or at least is the inaugural year for it this year, but it's been an established event for several years at least the hundred k and you know basically, like, are other distances right and the other distances too. So then my so I felt a little bit more comfortable with that, and plus I always wanted to come here. So and you know I have to even say too that the hundred mile distance is something I've wanted to do since I got into ultra running. And that was back in 2015. But I've been an athlete who purposely was patient at getting to that distance. But then I had some unexpected hurdles along the way that kind of prevented me from getting to this distance, which I would have otherwise kind of been to maybe a couple of years ago. So um, yeah, it was something that I'm just really motivated by, especially by trying it out. I wanted to, I finally feel like I'm ready. And Like I have the training capacity and like, I want to be able to, you know, to, I think I can practice it, like practice this distance. So that was kind of, once I got over the initial hurdle, it actually seems like a good idea.
0: Yeah, totally. And I guess my question is like, what specifically were you and Adam, like, what did you guys want to practice? What did you need Mm -hmm. to practice from that UTMB experience to bring into the next hundred mile race?
1: Yeah. So I think what I needed to, the two things that I really needed to practice were, um, the night start. Um, I mean, a lot of the European races and some of just oh, even yeah. even like UTCT, right? Like we don't, we don't do that even like hard rock. It starts at 6am. Um, you know, so I'm thinking like run, rabbit, run, big horn, they start at noon. So it's still like, you know, in a time frame where, where we are more used to running, but even, you know, like UTMB all in all the UTMB races, um, like Lavaredo uh, they all start like their night starts, like a but like a lot of the European races are night starts. And so I really wanted to practice that. Um, and along with that, like the nutrition associated with it, like, cause I had some stomach issues at the beginning and who knows if it's a bug or whatever, um, that I had, or like, just like nerves or just discomfort. But, um, Yeah, I practiced that a couple times. And so Adam and I, we incorporated some night running, like one big night run that was farther enough away from the race that I could recover from a sleep perspective where I ran starting at 5 p.m. and ended at 2 a.m. And then a couple of like double runs where I like started the last run at 5 p.m. and like, you know, finished into the sunset. It was like a two hour, or three hour run. Um, So doing that and then. The other thing that I really wanted to practice and, um, was just the mentality piece. And I've always been someone who's really honest about the importance of mental health and like, um, sports psychology. And I worked with my sports psychologist, like, like I had a mission. Like I I just wanted to, to practice techniques, um, to use during the race and just that mindset, right? Like I can suffer, like I know how to suffer. I know how to get through tough things. Like you know, just, you know, I've, I've done it. We all have done it. Like we all can do it, but it's also, it's being able to put yourself when you're not feeling good and you can still be nice to yourself and still, um, motivate yourself to push like harder, kind of even beyond your, your perceived limit. And that's really what I wanted to, to, to practice even to be confident in before I got to the start line. And then being able to tap into those things when I was reaching those really dark moments, like sure, for sure at mile 80, but perhaps sooner, right. During the night hours, when you're running down a ravine, which has ladders and ropes and (laughs) (laughs) like it's UTCT is like insane. I mean, I come from a sky running background and I'm used to running like super techie trails for like 50 K's at a time. But like the, the, the trails here, I of course I've learned from the South African, um, lingo it's they're brutal and they're hectic and they're like just (laughs) they're like unrelenting trails like i would only have like very short like 200 foot sections of like you know clean trail or maybe i think there was one section of like dirt road that was like maybe two miles at the very most where i could actually run um and But other than that, it was just sustained technical trails, the entire 100 miles, even till like literally the very end. It was, it it was, uh, it took a lot of mental focus, but so you have to kind of be in the right mindset because it can get. These trails make you want to cry. I definitely did at one point a couple Yeah, points. I think
0: I think we got you crying on 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 air, maybe even. Totally. You, a, you got, got me crying on air about about rocks and I was rocks and sand out them. there. Yeah. Oh, oh we know. Oh we know. <laughs> Hilly was uh I heard from the photographers out on course that you were uh less than impressed with the rocks at one point. Uh, at one point I was
1: definitely. <laughs> Sorry guys. I just okay. very expressive. I have to like get it out. Actually, I think there's at one point in the race where were, like, there like, there's a photographer and he like took a picture and I was like, oh man, are we going up there? And he's like, yeah. And I was like at the top of a rise, I was like hiking. And then it was like, kind of like, a, like, a, like just a very slight uphill where you could run if you try, but it was hard because you're so tired. You're at, like mile 80 at this point. And I, he's like, yeah, you're going up there. And I just yell out like a bad word. I'm really sorry, mom. And um, then I start running. And, I'm, and I think he's just like, this girl's savage. Like, I'm just like so pissed. And I'm just like running, like <laughs> gotta get it done. But that's just me. I'm very expressive. But then like, my so, some people know, and Corinne, you know this too, is like, if I'm training back home, if I'm mad, I'll say it. But like, I won't turn around. I won't even contemplate it. I'll just be yeah. like- mad for a bit and keep running forward. Well, I
0: think that's the thing. Like I've had to do that with, with Steven is like, I need to be able to express my like discomfort or my, just like my disdain for an activity. doesn't mean that I'm going to stop doing it. I'm just like, I need to get it out there. And like, it would like, it would be an issue initially. Steven's like, well, why are you doing this? If it's not fun. I'm like, no, no, no. It's like, I'm, it's still fine. Like, you'll know I want to stop because I'll just like, stop running. I'll just like, I'll sit on the ground. I was (laughs) like, but I'm allowed to be like, this sucks. And then continue to run up the hill because yeah. that is ultra running. Um, totally. I love to it. It's core. Um, okay. So before we dive into like race nitty gritty stuff, um, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about kind of bringing on or working with a sports psychologist as part of your team. I think it's really important for people to understand that while your coach can do a lot for you and we're all mm-hmm. pro, I think we're, we love, we all, everyone in this, in this room, the two of us, we're the whole, a whole two people here that the N N of two is pretty good. Love coaches. <laughs> Um, coach ourselves, et cetera. But um, we like, I love distressed athletes that you can bring on a team of people to help you. Maybe that's a strength Mm -hmm. coach, that's a PT or a a physio. Um, Maybe that's a, a, like a mental skills coach or a psychologist. So I'm wondering like um, who you're working with, what the relationship has been like, and then like, what were they working on with you specifically to kind of be prepared for those mental lows post UTMB going into another big hundred mile effort?
1: Yeah. And I I agree with you, it's like, it's, I think it's so important to have, you know, boundaries and lines, right. Cause it's like, although I have experience in, you know, mental health and like, you know, like with my neuroscience background and all this stuff, I am not a psychologist. I am not a, you know, a mental health professional. And so I can provide advice with like outlook and this kind of stuff, but I can't really provide exactly what someone needs if they're really looking for more direction in in that. So it's like, it's the same with my coach. Like he's an amazing coach. He knows what to do to train and prepare me, but that's also not really his job. And it's kind of almost too much stress on him to, to rely on him for that. And, um, so I found, um, and it's the same with a PT, right. That's the same with a dietitian, any of these things. And so, um, I found my sports psychologist, Julie Emmerman, and I think really it's, it's not as for me, it's important who, right. But I think if people are looking for one, it's so important that you can find someone that you just relate to. And initially, like immediately when I met Julie, I actually interviewed a bunch of different sports psychologists when I was looking for one, um, because, uh, to me clicking with them, like from a conversation piece, like you can, t- it's just so important. It's like, it's many, in many ways, like working with a coach, um, and so Julie, I started working with her actually back in like 2019 when I was living in France. And um and because I had initially been working with a with a psychologist working on like kind of trauma after the accident and kind of as I was getting back into competition, I needed to kind of work through that. But then as I graduated from that, I thought it was just, it was was something that's just really helpful for me and I know myself well at this point. And so, um, yeah, Julie and I, she is, um, she works with professional athletes. She coaches a wide variety of athletes. Um, but her, her, herself, she was a professional mountain biker and, um, she also, um, she still competes. And so just, we had a lot to relate to. Um, and so she like, and so, uh, you know, it's, she's been awesome. And, um, yeah, I guess like specifically, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so individualized, um, obviously, but for me, like I mentioned, it was something of, I really wanted to work on staying present. Like what could I do in those moments where I saw myself getting ahead of myself, like thinking too far in the future, um, of like, oh my gosh, this race is so long, or, you know, these trails are completely new to me. So I was, Um, you know, running them blind, so to speak, like I didn't know what was coming. Um, So I really had to focus being present in the moment. And so we just worked on different techniques um, for me to to just stay in that moment. Um, And, you know, for me, curiosity is a big thing. And um, like, I really was curious about like, staying curious and like, okay, like what was over this rise, like I wanted to get there. And like, you know, if I was experiencing a bad moment, like okay, stay curious and like how long that's going to last. Like it will end at some point, but just like how kind of to keeping that optimism, I guess, in a way. Um, So yeah, like kind of that was that was a, a theme I think that we kept on coming back to.
0: Nice. And you think that that was a big kind of a big turning point in this race as opposed to UTMB?
1: One hundred percent. Because I think like I don't know what particularly it was for UTMB, but I think. um I mean, to be honest, I think I may have like neglected. I mean, I've obviously been working with Julie, but I think I I didn't have as much like I wasn't working with her as much like before UTMB as I wanted to. And I think that was just, you know, my own, like, you know, not prioritizing things, but I think I had a lot more pressure on myself that I was putting, um, you know, it was a year that I changed sponsors that comes with different expectations, Um, you know, and these were all internal, right? They weren't external pressures. Um, But I think I didn't quite realize that until after UTMB. And then this was a reminder of like, okay, like let's recommit to some things that are actually um, going to serve you well. And that was one of them.
0: Awesome. I think that that is a good take-home message for folks is like that curiosity (laughs) piece that staying present piece, because most of us, yeah, can't go preview in particular, these races too. So you're going to run a lot of races blind unless you're coming back Mm -hmm. to the same event again. So kind of all good like tidbits and skills. I think, you know, talking about, you're not sure what was going on stomach wise at UTMB. Were there, were there any nutrition things that you changed going into this race too to kind of try to combat or prevent Mm -hmm. or be ready for any nutritional hiccups like you experienced during UTMB?
1: Yeah. And so um, Dina, we've had her on the podcast before. So you guys should go listen to that. If you haven't, she's wonderful. Um, The Nutrition Mechanic is her business. Um, She's at my local gym as well. Um, But so we were kind of talking about like just eating really plain the day before. And so I even actually took that one step further and just ate kind of pretty plain the day, uh, two days before. And then- on um, the actual, um, you know, race, it's like, and we, I had talked about this with Adam too, about caffeine, just cause it was going to be hot. So limiting that until much later in the race. Um, so I could like optimize my, my cooling as, you know, Corinne has informed us all about the effects of caffeine and how it kind of decreases your, your body's ability to, to cool itself properly. Um, and so, and then also just like some specific gels we changed. And, um, like, I think, we really didn't tweak that much of the nutrition i think it was just the the food that i was eating kind of the the days before and um i did have a little bit of like you know, in like kind of bloating and gas and like all of that stuff that's normal. Like when you first start running, when you're you know running at 5 PM, but it was able to settle. And I was able to kind of like, I think the main thing I changed was when that was happening, like keeping on nibbling, like taking smaller bites of like a gel and a bar, as opposed to just trying to like down a gel at the same time and like making your stomach even more upset. Um, like just, um, being a little bit more patient to let my stomach come around. And it did, um, and then I was able to kind of um use some more. Um, man, I'm in love with these like Huma Plus Gels. They're um once well, I used one that was caffeinated, and one that wasn't, but it has like some extra electrolytes. Um, and we just was really cautious with that because like too many electrolytes can also cause and you also to, too
0: too much chia seeds too can also uh turn out to
1: crap your pants. Yes. Yeah, it <laughs> turns out um
0: that was my Leadville experience back in uh, yep. 2017. Um mm-hmm. next to honey. Chia seeds are like a very potent natural laxative. So uh, mm-hmm. caution to the hundred mile runners nomming yeah. on chia seeds out there. It can, uh, but there, exactly. is, there is a limit. There
1: is a limit. There is a limit. So I talked about this limit with Dina and so we did not reach it. <laughs> um, yeah. But actually I was really pleased with my nutrition. Like normally I have a pretty like iron stomach, knock on wood, um, but it was, it was really great. I was actually able to eat like gels up until the very, very end of the race and like gels and awesome. bars, which is kind That's of what huge. I- Yeah. And real food. Oh my gosh. I have to say that like everyone in the aid station, like huge shout out to, um, so I had some awesome people that were on my crew. So Max, he flew over here with dehydrated mashed potatoes and dehydrated stuffing. He was like, we were determined to have a Thanksgiving themed like aid station. So I was like, yo, I'm going to need some real food to eat and like salty potatoes are great. Um, and so like um, then my other crew member who's a complete stranger, his name is Josh K. wood until great. like
0: great individual, two,
1: like, yeah, and, and like until two hours before the race. And he was phenomenal, like just like saying all the right things, super stoked. We learned so many like cool South African words from him. <laughs> and um yeah, he was great. And like those two who were having like a bromance the entire
0: crewing. Um and yeah, uh, no, they're they're really they're tight now. Those two are bonded yeah. for life. You guys are going back to South Africa next year. I, I know.
1: Right. Exactly. And Josh is like, oh, yeah, he's going to crew, crew, crew me again. But um, yeah, so like um, with the nutrition, I mean, I'm a huge I, I'm a huge believer in real food at the aid stations, especially for um, long races like this. And I was just like chowing down on dehydrated mashed potatoes. It was like so the good. best thing ever. Love uh, it. I just need some turkey with that. Although eh, maybe turkey would have okay. been way too dry. But
0: Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we also, we saw you, you were leaving an aid station. I think it was on your way towards, um, Nord hook. You were headed towards the beach section of the uh, race. This, we'll talk a little bit more about nutrition before we get kind of back to like what actually happened in the race. But, um, you're on, you're on the live broadcast and we're watching your crew just like knock it out of the park. And then they basically palm an entire sweet potato to you. And you literally, yeah. it's like a baton. You're running out of the aid station with an entire sweet potato in your hand. And then I think you tried to get into a garbage can at one point and you like dropped it and so you like picked up the litter and put it back in the garbage can. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of like, yeah, we're the, obviously real food in the aid stations. We're we're all big fans of like ramen and mashed potatoes mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. It goes down pretty good. It's got a bunch of good mm-hmm. carbohydrates in it. But um taking a whole potato on the road is is a I don't know, maybe a ballsy strategy. Um, uh, maybe an over an over strategy. I'm not sure what the what the appropriate lingo is here, but um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about running out of the aid station with an entire sweet potato in hand.
1: I think Max got a little bit. Um, he's like, take this, and I was like, I don't need the full thing. And so I think I like broke it off and like just had like um like a few bites, and I threw the rest in the trash can. Um, but. Yeah. I mean, it was like, cover, like in salt, but it's like that stuff just to get yourself to like, to choose something and have a little bit more of like a complex carb. Um, I think it, it really helped. And at that point I knew I wasn't going to be like, I was going to be running flat along the beach. And at okay. that point, I was, which is like, oh man, um, just like literally feels like you're in the desert, like in an oasis, you're never gonna reach the other side. Um, but uh yeah, so I knew that like there wasn't there was gonna be jostling right from running, but nothing like super crazy from running downhill or like a, a more of a high effort from running uphill. So it felt like it was a pretty safe place to, to slam some more food. Um, I think in that A station too, I like took a big bite of some avocado toast. Like these guys are just like like prime. It was awesome. That's amazing. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning of the day. You guys kicked it off at five PM on Friday evening. Um, I think kind of you and Ragna DeBots were kind of the two big, big names to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a, Mm -hmm. there was a contingent, a herd or a pack, if you will, of South African women. Um, that were kind of, you know, chasing all day long, Mm -hmm. um, including, you know, the, the ultimate second place finisher and third place finisher were, um, Carrie Ann Marshall and, um, Naomi Brand, both South Africans. They actually were the first South Africans home in the race. So big shout out to them because Mm -hmm. they beat all the South African guys to the finish line. and you guys. Fourth, mm-hmm. fifth, and sixth in the overall. So it was really, really cool. Um, we got to actually watch a lot of your race because of that, I think, because you guys were kind of that next pack right behind the leading men. Um, I think it was Carrie Ann's first hundred miler, and she just like steadily kind of like caught her South African friends throughout <laughs> the race, basically, I think. But um, you and Ragna, I think were like really the two to watch in a big way. And sure enough, the race starts and you guys go out together. Um, mm-hmm. and kind of settled in, it looked like together. And then you were kind of mirroring Ragna a bit over the early stages of the race, kind of talk us through the beginning, you know, maybe from like that start up through Kloofnut Corner, across Mm -hmm. Table Mountain and down that techie downhill in the wind and fog. And it looked, we didn't see any of this, obviously we went to bed at this point, but it looked like the weather up there had to be interesting to say the least, (laughs) hectic if you're South African. Um, So tell us a little bit about kind of those early stages of the race, you know, mirroring Ragna and then ultimately kind of, you know, how, how those next little bits played out.
1: Yeah and so you know I knew that going in. Um I knew that Carrie Ann Marshall and Naomi like are very strong runners. Like they've each had very strong performances at UTCT the 100k before which is you know it draws a very strong international field. Um and so, you know, I knew that weren't just going to, you know, wasn't gonna like, it wasn't going to be like, she was the easy. only one. No, she wasn't the only one I was going to have to worry about. Right. And so Ragnar and I went out. I felt like very comfortable. Right. I just like, for me, I just wanted to feel like comfortable. I told myself that if Ragnar was going to go out super fast, I wasn't going to go with her, but it seemed like a good pace that I could hold. And, um, I did have to like stop to go to the bathroom. And so I think there's like a minute gap maybe between us and like the first aid station at Signal Hill, um, maybe about like 12 K into the race. And so, but but that was kind of maintained, um, I think, um, until even like up, like up the top of, of North tape of the table mountain and then down, um, the other side of it. And so it actually, um, you know, the first part of the race is, um, relatively untechnical compared to the rest of it. It's very runnable. It's not very steep. Um, you still have to pay attention. There's still definitely like lots of rocks to come out and get you. But um, we
0: watch we uh, watch Ragnar's camera guy like fall over and roll his oh, ankle yeah. Um, yeah. on the backside of <laughs> Signal Hill.
1: Totally. Yeah. It's it's actually it's pretty rocky. And so um, then coming into um Klufnik is the first the first aid station. And you go up this thing, and like on the the live stream, it's so cool. There's this whole entire like like cacophony of
0: like cowbells the mountain, and the people mountain, mountain experience. They like had a yes. whole
1: oh whole, it was so know. cool it was amazing yeah and like i was like deaf like all i could do was just like just grin ear to ear because there's like so many people um and this is kind of the beginning of that steep climb and you have like a little bit of a balcony trail before you hit like the super steep stairs that go up to petriclip to the top of north table mount or sorry table mountain I keep saying north table is a mountain at home um but <laughs> uh and actually at that section like kind of the um the flatter section before going uphill, Naomi and some other, I forget. Nicolette, I, don't know if she was, I think, I Nicolette. think it Nicolette. Yep. They, they had caught me. And I think it was like, I think it was really cool about this race is that because the hundred miler and there were some more international people that came, I think it really motivated Naomi and all of the south african runners to like let's race and they were i think naomi was pretty close um those first at least the marathon the first um like 50ks like we were all running very close like her me and ragna um and so once we started climbing i kind of passed them and then i was ahead of them on the um you know on the the top of tail mountain but oh my gosh karen it was so windy um And I was actually pretty nervous about it because normally wind is like a signal to like get the heck out of there. Um, but it was just a coastal breeze. It wasn't that cold. I actually did change into a long sleeve before heading out there because it was very misty and wet. And it like, if it's windy, you could get cold. Um, but with a long sleeve and shorts, I was fine, but it was just like, you would have these gusts of wind that were 25 miles an hour that were sometimes like, like kind of jolting me around and like knocking me over. Um, We definitely saw this later in the race, but then, um, and no table mountain, once you (laughs) table mountain, sorry, once you get to the top of the, of it, it's downhill, but it is not easy running it's very technical. You have to take care. It's a mix of uneven stairs, just like you have to kind of do a little bit of like scrambling. Um, And then it's like kind of got a sand base to it too. Um, So it can be slippery. Um, And at this point, I knew that I was like, I knew Naomi, we were running together for a bit, like kind of chatting a little bit about our experiences at UTMB. Um, And then I had put a gap on her like a little bit uh, I knew she was right there but then coming out of the aid station before London Ravine before the descent to the beach um, i had caught Ragna and um, okay. then we were kind of going down the ladder slash rope section like super steep um, before we reached um, the beach and we we're about like a minute and a half apart um, and I think maybe Naomi was that close as well but something, um, this is kind of where I decided to make my move. Um, I, I was feeling good. Like I was feeling strong. I knew that there was still a long time to go in the race, but, um, we go up this peak called Southern peak after this London no Bay section, where we go over some beach and like some bouldering boulders, um, in the dark. And then, we start heading up the steep climb, and it's not terribly long, but it is pretty steep. And I had passed Ragna at the beginning of this climb. And I was, I just told myself, I was like, okay, like, yeah, just go. Like, I just, you know, I was feeling hesitant, like, okay, like, should I be passing Ragna right now? Like, do I need to be, but but do I need to be doing this? Am I pushing too early? But then I told myself, like, okay, like be present. Like, how do you feel? And then now let's go. And then the back side of that, I had done this actually descent um before and it was like super fun and sandy and like one of the only flowy descent sections like you didn't really have to worry about rocks although I did um uh I did like trip and like fall flat on my face in the sand I had like a mouthful of sand (laughs) on this descent. um but like I told myself like you know how like you just like I felt myself holding back and then I told myself like audibly no and I was like you can do it and then I um like, I just kind of let it go on that, on that descent off of Southern peak after I had kind of put a little bit of a gap on Ragna. And then at that point, like that was the last time I saw any of the ladies. And I told myself from there, um, like my strategy was just to keep pushing on the climbs. Cause I know that, you know, I was climbing well, I felt good on the climbs, and then to pay attention on the downhill and, you know, try to relax as much as possible. Cause it's like, it's not type, the type of terrain that you can really like extend, like make up a lot of time. Cause it's so techy And I was feeling pretty confident and moving really well. And so I just like kind of kept that strategy up. Um, but it really started like pretty soon into the race, like probably around 45 K it's
0: a long time to be racing. And I think that knowing that Ragnall said <laughs> like run a hundred mile and in kind of mm-hmm. middle September too. I think there's, I think we we're all kind of wondering what, what, you know, how she was feeling, how her body was doing. Mm-hmm. Obviously most things that Ragna touches turns to gold, but I honestly think mm-hmm. that that decisive move of yours, like put doubt in her head, mm-hmm. like, Oh, this isn't going to be like an easy, an easy win. Like I'm going to have to be present. I'm going to have to fight for this. And like, right. that can be really, um, disheartening, demotivating, et right. cetera. When that, when that happens to you.
1: And I think that's exactly what happened because I've been there too. And I also think the other thing, because I've heard some of like the other, just from the aid station, because I wanted to know what was happening behind me. I knew that Naomi had also caught her and they were running together. And I think that was something also that was putting doubt. And then maybe, maybe Ragna was having a hard day. And I think like, that's kind of what, and it, like, she ended up, um, you know, like, ultimately stopping. And I, I had talked to Ragna at the very like in the days leading up to the race. And her original plan was to do 300 milers this year. And so like she I think she really wanted wanted to, but I think like I don't know. I think that's um what happened because after the race we talked and like she just didn't have any she didn't have any stomach issues or anything like that. Um but she I just was think tired. Maybe... It sounded
0: like the report we yeah, got from the station yeah. was that she was wanted to go to bed and like that she didn't have climbing legs. And I think that you know when you're when you're struggling to stay in the mix, you're mm-hmm. struggling to stay where you think you are. That tiny seed of doubt gets planted, and then mm-hmm. you know you let it fester and grow and grow and grow, and totally. all of a sudden, it's a whole lot easier to remove yourself from the yeah. race. When your goal, when your goal is specific and it's not just finishing, right? Totally. Like finishing is an important goal, and I think it's really right. easy for us to say, "Well, my goal is 24 hours," or "My goal is the podium," or "My goal is to win." And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, when that when that goal no longer exists or is tangible or isn't you know easy um mm-hmm. it's really and you don't have that goal of like sticking it out finishing because like the truth of the matter is like a lot can change in a 100 mile race like Ragna totally. could have felt really great again by kilometer 140 you know right, right? and like rocked the back 26k and and finished mm-hmm. solidly in that group but I think that it's um when that goal, I mean, I've been there, like, yeah, I've been there at UTMB where I was like, oh, I could have finished in 2019. I would have vomited a lot more on so, my final 50K march to the oh finish line, gosh. but I would have finished with, you know, under 30 hours probably. Mm-hmm. But i mentally mm-hmm. was not ready to be out there for that long. That wasn't mm-hmm. in, the, in the plan. The goal wasn't totally. to mm-hmm. when the plan. And when you don't have that goal there, I think, you know, it's really easy to pull the plug. Oh, yeah. Hillary's and like, that's honest. Yes. Almost-
1: I mean okay. that and I've been there like that's why I wanted to work on you know like I had these goals of like these competitive goals but ultimately like I said I wanted to practice the 100 mile distance so I knew that even if this stuff happened like I knew that there was value in practicing it and I had kind of those um those mental like kind of th- like little nuggets there that I could rely on to kind of pull on if if I had if I had oh. to
0: Right. And this is something that it's like, if you're going to be back on the start line at UTMB or another big hundred mile race, but another big international hundred mile race next year, Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know,
0: having, having all that experience under your belt is going to, is going to pay off in a big way. Right. Right. This is my coach hat on being like, yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. Good hill. Okay. So you guys climb and descend Suther Peak known locally as Suffer Peak. And I totally understand why I got really sunburned out there. It was great um and then you guys descend to Hope Bay, also known as Wood Bay. Um there you kind of like and and there's a sandy section at that point. And I think what I think from there is that where the 100 mile course leaves the 100k course to head down south.
1: Correct. Yeah, so we kind of head up the road a little bit and then we go um then we do another a pretty big climb and then halfway through that climb we um go right. And then the, the hundred kers would go left. Gotcha. And then we continue climbing and then we go all the way up and over and down, um, to Kalk Bay, which is on the other side.
0: Yep, To Kalk Bay and then Simon's town. Yep. And then from there you guys had that, what, like, I think they technically call it 10 K, but I think it's longer than that on the beach. And that was kind of, that was right at sunrise or just before, yeah, right at sunrise for the first the first males um i remember we Mm -hmm. got this insane so we had a helicopter i was doing a lot of i saw the helicopter i was waving to them yeah we got some of you climbing it was after nordhook climbing kind of back towards extension neck we got to Mm -hmm. see you um via the helicopter it was really awesome but we had this insane shot of photos the greek athlete running across the beach he's being followed by a camera person the helicopter is like kind of just like you know paralleling them getting this epic shot and they like run up behind some surfers. They like totally startle. Um, Like surfers are like walking along the beach. I think you, you all had a few more humans out there. I think we saw yeah. some people give you guys a wave, Yeah, um, a little cheer tunnel of two people out on yeah. the beach. What was, you knew that you had beach running going into this, mm-hmm. um, which can be daunting Um, mm-hmm. if you don't live by a beach can find kind of feel like you need, it's something that you need to practice. What, going into it knowing you had that section and it's a long extended section the other beach sections aren't quite are not nearly this long like what was going through your mind hitting it what like was there anything that you did in practice to be ready for it like did you have a strategy for you know how you were going to mentally and physically get through this long beach section out to Hook?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the most specific thing for training is in snow. So thank goodness I had some snow to train in before I came to UTCT. <laughs> um, but this is also the clutch, um, like clutch crew member, Josh, he's a surfer. And so he was actually checking tides and he was telling me, he's like, yo, Hill, when you're going to go to, when you're going to go across um, Nordic beach, you're going to have like, it's going to be kind of low tide. So it was nice actually because so I chose actually to kind of just run parallel to the flagging and go by the water. Cause it was firmer. Yeah, firmer. Of course there were some sections where it wasn't firm and it was just like running through snow, like a powdered sugar, snow, um, sand, obviously. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's what, well, that was my strategy. And then finally when I saw like the turning right to go to the next aid station, I had to kind of just slog it over to, um, to get through the, through the sand, and like up this river bed, which is like quite hard, but, um, yeah, yeah I mean, I would mean, stri- not
0: have video footage of that. That sounds awful.
1: Oh, it was super awful. There was a video guy with me, but Holy crap. I was like, yeah, I was like, what the heck? Um, but, um, Actually, I mean, I was looking at my watch. There was a couple sections where I was like, okay, like I had so much confidence from because I did a lot more running and like speed work this season. And like, I felt fine running. I actually dropped a 740 mile on the beach at mile like 74 or something. And uh, so that was cool. Um... Um yeah, but that's like, that was my strategy. It was just cool to like, literally we checked tides before and it was just like, I think the whole goal was like, Hillary, get there before 5 p.m. because 5 p.m. was high tide and you had no choice but to run into super soft sand because the water would have been so high. So
0: gross. Yeah. Living on Ocean yeah. Beach in, in San Francisco for a number of years, I can attest to uh, <laughs> those low those low tides are are really, really nice. And I think that was kind of is that over by like Kamaki, Komaki that like Yeah, Komaki show? was
1: the aid station that you saw me take the potato.
0: <laughs> and nice. then
1: um, and then the one that was Nort Norton Nordhook or something, that's the one after the beach section before you start cool. going up Chapman's peak.
0: Awesome. And then at some point in there, I think it was over in this section, you picked up um a secondary camera person who happened to be a 14-year-old girl whose dad was running the hundred K race and she wanted to be involved. So most of the camera people out there for those who don't know were carrying like basically uh, like mountain bike packs, um, mm-hmm. that had 6.5 kilos of gear in them because they had, you know, storage. It was, it was really, really cool. The the mm-hmm. images we were able to get from them when we had signal and then the back recording of it was insanely good. Um, but you also picked up a gal running with a GoPro for this pulse app that we used in the live broadcast for the first time, which was also super sick. Um, I think it's pulse.tv is the app um, where you can go back and actually see where the live cameras were on course um, mm-hmm. things that didn't make it into the live broadcast all the time um, that's overlaid over the map so you can like literally see on the like on the topography where you are and you, so you picked mm-hmm. up this 14 year old girl at one point point. Um, and we are sitting in the studio speculating like did you know like did you have any interactions with her did you like did you know anything about about that when, when you picked, I just thought it was so cool that all of a sudden like the leading lady, you know, Hillary Allen's running the hundred mile race and she's got a 14 year old girl. The only, the only, um, female on the camera curve for the weekend yeah. is now following you the camera. Like how cool is that?
1: I did notice that I was like, Oh, it's a girl with the camera. And it's like, she came back and like, um, at this point, men's the other, like, um, special member of my crew is a photographer, and like showed me around kind of the days before the race. Um I saw him kind of at that point taking photos. And so I think he got some snaps of like her following me, but she was like so nice and she was encouraging me because I was in like a pretty rough spot, like with the with the like the stairs and the rocks. Um, but I was like moving really well and she was like, really encouraging me, saying like, I'm doing great. There's not that much more. Um, but it was really cool. Like we had a couple, like just a couple like cool interactions, um, just like that, kind of like, i do talk to the camera people mainly also like to let them know i was like yo i'm gonna pee right now can you not video my butt um and (laughs) uh but yeah so that was really cool i actually did notice that like she was the only woman on the camera crew team
0: yeah it was it was really really cool to get that story in studio of like yeah her her dad was racing the 100k and they were like get her a camera she's gonna have fun so i thought that was (laughs) she's got the um Oh, what is the mountain range called? George Mountains, maybe she's got yeah. the, like FKT on the six peaks. Um wow, in the, cool. the George Mountains, which is really impressive. So we've got we've got a new a new South African stud coming up in that nice. Community. Um, I actually don't know her name, but um oh. maybe maybe she or her dad listens to this and they can hopefully uh, they can they can come shout at us because I thought that was Phenomenal. So yeah, look for, look for those volunteer opportunities. We'll be posting volunteer opportunities for Western States this summer too, for our camera, our camera crew, we won't make mm-hmm. you wear 6.5 kilos worth of gear uh, for those
1: people. That's about 13 pounds, 15 pounds actually.
0: Yeah. So. And they're, and they were running and it's, you know, I actually met um, the guy who was with Fotis for like a big 19, 20 mm-hmm. kilometer section of the race. He normally runs the hundred K. Um And he picked that beautiful section kind of out of, Mm. um, I think, after the beach, essentially. Mm. Um, But yeah, they were carrying a lot of gear out there to get us all those images. It was really, really cool. Okay, so you head into the final, you know, as you said about UTMB, 80 miles in, I think, like, personally, 60 to 80 miles is, like, my least favorite part of 100 because, it's like, you're Mm. so far in but up so far to go. But then again, you Mm. get to an 80 like an 80 ish mile aid station. And all of a sudden it's like, I still have a marathon to run. Right. You know, what was the mindset coming into those later aid stations or the later, later stages of the race, having this being your second hundred mile experience, having a little bit more experience under your belt, as opposed to UTMB.
1: So really for that, it was just to get, get to the next aid station. It was literally trying to like take it in digestible chunks, not thinking about what I had to go focusing on what I could do in that moment to get me to the next aid station, like r- focusing on nutrition, drinking. um, and that's really what got me through. I just really focused on getting like the like getting to the descent um into uh, to that aid station. yeah, talking tell, with Cody Reed.
0: <laughs> yeah, tell us a little bit. I know that you ran into Mimi, Coca's husband, um, Tony, I think, about four k from that aid station as well and you were uh a little desperate maybe wondering where where the freaking aid station was um so tell us a little bit about that section was really long and really dry looking it looked that way for the 100k runners Mm -hmm. it looked that way for the 55k runners on Mm -hmm. friday tell us a little bit about kind of the the mental turmoil maybe in this (laughs) section to get to Costentia glen that kind of oasis in the middle of the vineyard there
1: right and so actually I thought that the aid station was there at that kind of restaurant area where I saw Tony Mimi's husband Um, and so I was just like what and so I had like a mini freak out moment and I was like okay like they're like oh it's like 3K's I'm like okay I can do this and actually I knew from watching the live feed of the 55K earlier um, that the yeah, aid was in the middle of a vineyard so I kind of knew what to like look for so I was like okay like I thought this was here but this doesn't look familiar so it's got to be further and so just like focusing and, and just you know, I took another gel and then you know ran that st- session, made sure I filled up, chugged some water, and then knew that I had about mm, eight Ks to the next aid station at Alphan Trail where I could see my crew. So again, the the main thing was there is just like staying calm. Like sure I had like a mini freak out. I'm not perfect, but I um was just able also just to like get it out and then continue moving and then you know not let it like affect me from like re- raising my adrenaline from like panic but then like, okay, like you like still take care of yourself, take a gel and like, let's, let's do this.
0: Um, I think it's also a lesson at that point too. Like if you look at the course profile for this, this event, like because of the way the climbing is in the first, like 25 K of the race, it makes everything after it look really small, but I know that the climbing section is not, is not small. Exactly. So can can you talk a little bit once again, like running blind, obviously you Mm -hmm. got to see bits and pieces of the course, but not all of it. Um, Mm -hmm like how we, and because it's the inaugural event as well, we knew that we like sitting in studio, having, you know, some experience with the course, having some experience with the course, you know, like being able to read all these maps, being like, okay, like this is what we think the crux is going to be. But we know that it's, we're not like, we'll know the actual crux after we talk to the runners after the race. And I'm wondering, you know, like, was there a section pre-race that you thought was going to be the, like the biggest or hardest hurdle? And then did that change during the race? Like that Constantia neck, Constantia Glen section, I think doesn't look like anything on the course mm-hmm. profile, but like destroyed people in both oh, the yeah. hundred mile and hundred K.
1: That was a big one. I think the section from Nordic, like after, um, after the beach up and over Chapman's peak and then climbing up, um, and then down into Casinchinek, that was the crux for sure. And I think that definitely Naomi and Carrie Ann both have advantages because if you you know what's coming. Um, and so I was just, you know, just for me, it just felt like it was never ending. Um, and so that was um both the ascent and the descent and the traversy descent thing where that you can really wrong up. Yeah. I was yeah. so rocky. Um, and so that was definitely a, a crux. I mean, I, so I knew that like, but again, like those little blips on the course, it didn't look like anything But when you're running it, it was pretty steep actually. And pretty, like pretty substantial. Um, I knew that the table mountain was going to be a crux, especially at night. I was, I heard like horror stories of this Lundundo ravine, but with my, you know, actually with my background, like I felt really comfortable and fine. Um, even during the night, um, so that kind of changed, but I think that was, and that coincided. So that, that section from up Chapman peak after the beach, like all the way down and over to up and over to Constantinic. Um, that was like a low moment for me.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think we got some heli footage and some runner footage from mm-hmm. you in that section, just kind of being, uh, tossed around by the wind right? a little bit through there. It wasn't quite as windy when Fotis went through there and we got to see that on the live, the live feed. Um, what was I going to say? My, blo- my brain just emptied. Okay. Um, <laughs> I obviously I was watching the timing chips like intently, um, not only because I'm an Uber fan and an Uber dork, because I was on the live feed doing a lot doing the broadcast. And yeah. I noticed, you know, like Naomi and Nicolette actually ran together for a, a long time. And then Nicolette like had like a total brain melty, I think. Yeah. She left an aid station and turned around and walked right back into it. Like she was like oh. dizzy and kind of disoriented. Um, it sounded like. Um, and then Carrie Ann Marshall, this like you know, firecracker has been second at, um, at this race at the hundred K race before, Mm -hmm. um, she, you know, I was noticing that she had been, you know, 70, you know, 70 minutes down and then 60 minutes Mm -hmm. down and then 50 Mm -hmm. minutes down. And I texted your phone or texted max basically. And I was like, Hey, (laughs) like, I think it's gonna be fine. But Carrie Ann is like taking, (laughs) um, and then we saw you come through trail, trail Cape town. And you just walked through the entire aid station and right out the other side. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, that's heading into the final 11 K of the race, kind of what was going yeah. on there. Did you know what was happening behind you? You know, were the boys like, just like, come on Hill, like out, out we go. What was going on there?
1: actually so nicole bitter i saw her at alfin trail and she was like you know i think she said what i needed to do like he like just get it done like let's go like i took a little bit of time at alfin trail and i knew that like, i didn't like at that last aid station like after um you see them at the university of cape town you've had mean climb and then like kind of a a balcony trail which is still pretty uphill and then like a descent to the finish but like I just wanted to get it done at that point. Like I didn't want this like slow ripping off of the band-aid. I mean, I just want, I didn't want a slower ripping off of the band-aid. I just, (laughs) I wanted to like, you know, to finish and I was still like moving well. And, you know, I knew that at that section, I think like people had made up like maybe a little bit of time, not much during the Milo section, um, between Chapman's and, um, um, but I was still really moving well. And I knew people were like still moving pride like just as good, but probably not much faster. Um, so I wasn't worried about losing the race, but I also at this point, I wanted to kind of hit that well. I wanted to keep pushing until the end. And when I looked at my time coming into U- U- University of Cape Town, I knew that a sub 25 hour time was possible And so the guys actually wanted me to stop and I basically just like took out what I needed for my thing, put it on the table, grabbed a few things, put in new bottles. And I was like, this is what I want. Like, let's go. And like, I didn't stop. And I was like, I just like, let's keep going. (laughs) And, um, it was really cool. And like going up that super steep climb, it's like, um the blockhouse climb it's like this really loose ravine um you know i didn't use my poles cuz i had actually broken one and um Ooh, yeah during the race i pushed hard on those things <laughs> and so i had just stashed them and i was kind of going back again to the sky running stuff hands on knees and if i needed extra leverage i was putting hands in the dirt and you needed it on that section cuz it was so steep um and it was actually like so cool to see that like, I felt like I was racing till the very end. And even though maybe I didn't feel like a ton of pressure from the ladies behind me, like immediate pressure, like at a race like Western, like people are minutes separated from each other. But like, I had this goal where I wanted to be present and racing the entire time. And I wanted to really push myself and see what that felt like. And it was so cool to see that I could actually like race and run um, to the very end. and we got to this like the kind of there's a short tarmac section and then you take a a right and go down this road and it's steep at first but like you think it's going to be like a gravel road but it turns into this gnarly like loose rocks and like all this other stuff at this point I looked at my watch and I like told the cameraman I was like I want to break I don't I want to break 25 hours I want to come in under 25 hours and he's like tell me your time and they're telling me how, much, how many k's i have left and they're like it's possible and so i'm just like trying to like rip it and i'm just, like it was so cool you i felt like it. i was felt like i was flying i have really no idea like
0: yeah how fast feels, I was going it feels like you're going fast and then you're like oh the guy next to me is running in flip-flops i guess i'm not totally. running
1: fast i mean hopefully there wasn't a flip-flop guy but like no, i know i felt you. like i was running fast but like obviously it probably wasn't but like i was moving pretty well for the like mile 102 or something cuz it was 104 miles by the end of it but it was so cool to see. And at the end, I finished in like just under 25 hours, like two what, 2455. Yeah. So like was that. my time. Um it was great.
0: And I think we could see that <laughs> on the live broadcast too we're like, okay, the like she's she doesn't care if she falls right now. Like you you looked a little <laughs> reckless on that downhill. Um, okay. We got <laughs> it like, in control. <laughs> yeah. You're you're, we're going to respect your time here and not, not run over too much. Um, so I've got, I've got two more questions for you, Hill. Okay. Yeah. You can do this. Yeah. I believe in you. Um yeah. They're, they're shorties. So while you didn't feel pressure, like when did you like, when did it really dawn on you that like the win, the win was yours? Like, was that the finish line? Was that the final three K turning past Deadman's tree? Like what, what did that feel like? When did you let it sink in, actually?
1: I let it sink in when I came around, um, like, after Blockhouse Climb. And I came around um, the corner and I got hit by that huge gust of wind that I know. almost fell over. (laughs) Almost fell over off the cliff. Uh, Just kidding. That's a bad joke. Um, And, uh, yeah, so I I knew it then. And I, like, literally got chills. And I almost started crying. And then I was just like, all right, let's keep pushing. And then I, like, tried to, like, pick up the pace a little bit. Because I didn't want to let myself, like, relax. because I know anything's possible in a hundred mile race and people can have like phenomenal, you know, back 50 K's. So yeah, that was it about five K from the finish. That's pretty awesome. Six I know Ks. I know it's like
0: the, I at the finish line is when I knew, um, yeah. okay, so <laughs> final, final question before a, a, sh- a quick shout out. Um, this is kind of how I'm just going to do, we're doing society slam or a ring section right now, right here, <gasps> right now. Society yes. slam or ring Hilly. We, we were all wearing our aura rings over there. Um, through the jet lag to the time travel, um, any, any fascinating takeaways or was your, was your ring just like, you are messed up. Do not look at me.
1: I know. Actually, I, the only time I did not look at the aura ring was the day of the race because I didn't want it messing with my head of like, you're not optimally recovered because like the couple of times it's like, take it easy, take it easy. Like I was sleeping well and I was in Madeira for a Brooks photo shoot, um, the week before. And so I was a bit like, you know, all over the place. It was, it was like really useful for me to track my sleep and like, okay, like don't do anything extra. Let's chill. But the one thing I have to say, and also that I'm super proud of is that this tracker, like the R-Ring for prediction of periods is spot on. It told me about like a week in advance that I was going to start my period, the 27th, like clockwork. And it was like, my body was like, what are you doing? Like, it was just like, we need to rest. You just need to like, just stay in bed. No, um, it was perfect. It was like clockwork, Sunday morning, just like you're done racing. Here we go. You know? So thanks, R-Ring. <laughs>
0: Thanks. Or ring big shout outs there. And I think final shout outs, um, before we let you go, cause I know you're a highly sought after lady, um, was we had so many, um, South African listeners come up to us during race week and say, yes. Hey, I love the pod. Um, some of your names that did not get, but big shout out to Chloe. I think Chloe, yes, was working Chloe. Race, res- r- race registration, um, human
1: sticker, do epic shit.
0: Oh, I love it! So humongous. <laughs> shout out to Chloe. Hope you're listening to this. Um, but huge shout out to the South African listeners. Um, it was cool to meet a bunch of you in person. Any any final words, Hill?
1: Yeah, that was like one of my favorite parts, and why I've always wanted to come to this race is because I've seen how the community shows up for it, and it just felt so special to be a part of it and it included. And it like like I said at the award ceremony, it exceeded the hype. So, yeah, super psyched.
0: 2023, I told Hilly she doesn't have to run, but maybe she has to come crew me. All right, cool. Okay, deal. (laughs) Um, Okay, with that being said, slide into our DMs. Hit us up, give us your questions, follow up feedback, etc. all of the above. Um, again, if you want to pitch a uh, free trail as well, you can write to me directly at Corinne, C O R R I N E, um, mm-hmm. at freetrail.com. I'm happy to take pitches there, looking for pitches to go into the 2023 um, new year. Um, but until then, we'll see you on the trail.